Payment card fraud is a growing concern, not just for U.S. banking institutions and merchants, but for financial services organizations throughout the world. Here, Neera Jones, a payments fraud expert in the U.K., sheds light on emerging payments trends and the highest risk areas for banks the world over. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Nira, you've reviewed some of the results from our recent Faces of Fraud survey, and you've noted that some of the credit and debit fraud losses that were reported by U.S. card issuers are not surprising to you simply because the U.S. market continues to rely on MagStripe technology rather than EMB chip technology that is standard in much of Europe. What can you tell us, Nira, about the card fraud trends that you're seeing in the U.S.? It's a difficult question to answer, Tracy, because whilst it's very easy for me to answer that question for Europe and certainly the UK, because we have global bodies that monitor fraud, such as UK Cards Association and so on and so forth, so we have the very, very real figures coming from financial services themselves, and that is very closely monitored. As far as I can tell, in the United States, we actually rely on analysts and and researchers to, to produce surveys and, and give us some figures, which sometimes can be quite surprising. So it's a very difficult question to answer. It could be probably easier for me to tell you what it looks like in Europe and most particularly in the UK. So tell us what card fraud does look like in Europe. What types of trends are you seeing there in these markets where EMV is widely adopted? Essentially, EMV sees its adoption in EMV Zone 1 countries and the UK in particular has more or less eradicated face-to-face uh, fraud when it comes to uh, card payments. If we specifically talk about retail banking fraud in the UK, I'm privileged to actually be part of the 2013 uh, fraud indicator from the National Fraud Authority here in the UK. So that stuff was produced in June, so very relevant figures. So to give you an idea, retail banking fraud across the UK amounted to about £475 million in 2012. And if you look at plastic card fraud more specifically, and if we to relate that to phenomena that we observe in the US, account takeover, for example, was 6.2% of the total of plastic card fraud, which was $388 million. Counterfeit cards, is only 10.8%. So that's an interesting point because plastic card fraud within the whole of retail banking fraud represents more than 81% of total fraud. And therefore, what we observe is that CNP fraud, cardholder not present fraud, is actually 63.4% of the total. So the conclusion we can reach is that since EMV adoption, fraud has shifted to the card not present space, it's very, very obvious. Going back to the U.S., would you say that skimming attacks or retail breaches are most often to blame for some of the card fraud losses? Correlating many research papers, including, for example, the Verizon Data Breach Investigation Report and the Trustwave Global Security Report and all sorts of other reports, what we look at is Certainly, the retail sector, for example, is subject to fraud quite a lot due to the volumes. And if we look at uh, skimming, very, very prominent in the United States from what I can tell, because it is actually very easy to skim magnetic stripe cards, whereas that type of fraud essentially doesn't happen in the UK. Because of the dual purpose of the card, so 
issuers, even in Europe, have to issue dual-purpose cards. So they have to have a chip, obviously, but they also have to have a magnetic stripe. So whilst the chip card cannot be cloned, the magnetic stripe can be, but it can only be used abroad. So you see a migration of fraud by going to countries who have not deployed chip and PIN. How would EMV better protect card numbers compromised during breaches of retailers and payments processors? So things that go beyond just skimming. Things that go beyond just skimming. Well, certainly so. EMV, because of the chip, if everything is deployed, such as the ATM, the terminals, and so on and so forth, the cards are inherently secure. And I know there has been lots of detractors and uh, and some security professionals saying that, uh, you know, chip cards can be hacked. Well, let's face it, Tracy, anything can be hacked at any point in time. There is no such thing as being 100% completely secure. But it depends on the type of attacks and is it worth doing and is it worth the effort doing it for a very, very little payload and a lot of effort, which is why we're still seeing car present fraud decreasing in all the EMV Zone 1 market. Are these retailer and processor breaches a global problem or just a U.S.-centric problem when it comes to card fraud? I think it will be not just a U.S. problem, I would say. It's a problem for areas that have not deployed EMV. As you can see closer to you, Canada has started to deploy EMV, and I have seen some reports suggesting that fraud is already decreasing significantly in that area. So you're probably seeing right now migration of fraud to uh, across the border from Canada. For a cheap card, it, it is actually extremely difficult to clone. Hence the migration of fraud to countries that don't accept EMV because it can't be reused in an EMV terminal. And EMV constantly evolves in terms of the technology that is actually on the chip. EMV constantly evolves as well in terms of how the information is actually uh, encoded on the chip. Do you have any handle on how much progress has been made in the U.S. toward EMV adoption? We haven't got a very good handle as to how much progress has been made in the U.S., but what is very obvious from what we can see here is that there are a lot of uh, retailers that are absolutely pro-EMV. And I know, for example, Walmart has been in the news for quite a few years in terms of wanting to deploy EMV and being an absolute advocate of the technology. And uh, what we've observed as well over the past couple of years is you started seeing issuing banks in the United States deploying EMV cards for their travelers abroad. So it is starting to happen And when you look at uh, some reports I have seen according to U.S. citizens themselves traveling abroad, they are actually finding it increasingly difficult to use their cards in European countries, especially for unattended terminals, I would say. Now, Mira, I'd like to talk with you a little bit about mobile payments. You've been focusing a great deal of attention recently on mobile payments. In which markets has adoption of mobile payments been the greatest? It depends on what we mean by adoption of mobile payments. If it's what we mean by MPOS, for example, using the credit card rate, then I think in Europe, adoption is actually quite high. And I think in the UK, certainly uh, it is one of the countries where the adoption is, is ramping up. You have other modes of payments, such as, for example, M-Pesa in, in Africa, where the adoption was due to the lack 
essentially of banking infrastructure and they found an alternative ways to enable people to use mobile devices for day-to-day payments. So quite a large adoption, I would say, in Europe, certainly in the UK, it's starting a lot. Uh, but looking at the US as well, Square has been very, very successful, even though it is quite a contained environment with Starbucks, I guess. Are there threats that we're not paying attention to? I think everyone is paying attention to threats, but because even though adoption of mobile is ramping up, it is not yet a significant proportion of payments. So whilst people are still busy trying to understand the benefits of uh, the technology, both for businesses and consumers alike, uh, we're starting to see now threats in relation to information security. And uh, I'm sure you've seen the reports yourself in terms of uh, malware on Android and such like and potential cybersecurity risk associated with mobile. So what I think will happen is there will be a drastic increase in um, identity and authentication technologies, and that will be driven by mobile adoption, because as always in, in the digital space, invariably the debate comes down to trust, privacy, and security, and, and we're starting to see some very, very innovative technologies and ideas in the identity and authentication space. And I think that has been realized everywhere worldwide. I mean, recently I've heard that, for example, in the U.S., the clearing group uh, with its 22 member banks have actually created a working party to actually try and find out how they can create credentialing across the board, uh, and that's 22 member banks, so that's very interesting to see banks looking at identity. Now, closer to home here in the UK, the UK government have also initiated a working party to do with identity assurance and has partnered with a number of organizations, including our own UK post office, but also companies such as Verizon and PayPal on the identity space. So identity and authentication is going to be, I think, quite big over the next decade or so, starting from now. And we're probably going to see a bit more adoption of biometrics in that space. I'm sure you've seen the potential announcement or rumor, rather, that the iPhone 5S is needed to have fingerprint recognition with it. That's an interesting point about biometrics, Nira, because I also have some questions about authentication. Do you see banking institutions investing in the right types of mobile authentication solutions, and could biometrics perhaps be the next step that they take in authentication for mobile? In the mobile space, there is still very little understanding as to what organization, and that's not just financial services institutions, need to do in the mobile space. So we can't be seeing point solutions for that, all very interesting solutions uh, in that space. But a lot of uh, banks, if, if not all, have deployed, for example, two-factor authentication using one-time password, as you know, because it's the most common method of dual-factor authentication at the minute. But when it comes to integration and actually understanding the type of threats that the whole new mobile ecosystem brings with it, I think there is still very little understanding. So, for example, there is still a relatively low adoption, for example, of device fingerprinting and other technologies that could help. 
So I think integration will come in time once it is more understood. But I don't think the understanding is there right now. Are there any areas where you would say U.S. banking institutions could learn something from European counterparts where mobile security is concerned? Mobile adoption in the greater scheme of things is still not a very large percentage of payments. I think we are learning, you know, as much probably as the United States are learning right now. And I think we have to actually look at it in a holistic fashion, encompassing identity and authentication and mobile security within the whole digital commerce. And then, Nira, before we close, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share about fraud trends generally? We mentioned biometrics earlier on, which is one area that I see is probably going to grow due to the growth in mobile adoption. And, of course, the whole identity and authentication space is going to be very big. So that's what I'd like to leave with you. I'd like to thank you again for your time this morning. You're very welcome, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Neera Jones of Accord. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.